0: Chris Kelvin is traveling to the ocean world of Solaris. For more than 100 years, scientists have been trying to understand and communicate with the alien life on the planet. But Solaris is truly alien. The entire planet-wide ocean is a single living organism. As Kelvin arrives, he finds that things are not going well. The science station is disturbing, nearly abandoned. And so the question is, will he be able to unravel the mystery of Solaris or will he lose his mind or his
1: life in the attempt? Hello, everybody. I'm Cody. And I'm Brent. And we are the Hugo Knots here to review and discuss with you the best sci-fi novels of all time. This week, we're talking about Solaris by Stanislaw Lem, uh, the 1961 polish sci-fi classic that has uh, been made into a bunch of movies and uh it's it's been with it's stuck with people for the ages we're for excited for good reason about it. yeah for good reason indeed
0: next week or in two weeks i guess our next episode will be about uh the road by cormac mccarthy which is post-apocalyptic sort of sci-fi honestly but um Uh, We, and especially I, like, I love, love, love Cormac McCarthy, and I was legitimately very sad when he passed away here recently, so we wanted to do an episode to talk about him and honor him. He's, like, one of the greatest writers of all time, and this book is very disturbing and crazy. Anyway, so I guess we're having a creepy phase here with Solaris and then The Road, but yeah, that'll be really fun, so tune in for that in two weeks.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, The Road being very, very realistic, let's not have an apocalypse, Um, Solaris still being imaginary (laughs) so at least (laughs) there's that imaginary Um, (laughs) so
0: we have one other announcement also um we told y'all a few weeks back that we might have to we might get out of sync on the episodes releasing but clearly
1: that's not happening here we are and there's some good news right uh my baby came my wife had our child a couple weeks ago she is awesome and um we're we're over the moon however not sleeping so much uh, but we're still getting it done i edited expanse at the hospital um oh, I didn't while know we you were at the well, hospital while we were waiting <laughs> yeah i mean a little bit during just like our like hanging out period <laughs> before labor um so uh you know we're we're keeping at it that's no amazing no breaks here <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so you far. look
0: great despite having become a vampire who transcends
1: uh, sleep and time. But uh, so anyway, yeah. Keep transcending <laughs> sleep and time, not space and time. I like it. Um, okay, let's talk about Solaris. I gave this book a four out of five. Um, I don't know if the listeners know that we like um, novel first contact books. Um, we're interested in first contact that feels realistic and um, has a cool bend to it. Uh, this is another great example of that. Um, that's where I'll leave it, I suppose.
0: I'm, uh, this is one where I'm extremely tempted to give a half, but I'm going to stick with my rule. I'm not going to give a half. So I'm going to give this book a five out of five because I think it might be like the most creative thing I've ever read. I truly cannot understand how this book came out of Son Lem's brain. Um, we read Blind Sight and reviewed it, I don't know, a while back. And that kind of blew my mind. Now having read Solaris, I see a lot of what I thought was so mind-blowing about that was actually from Solaris. And it's in a really different way. Um, The other thing I will say for this one is I got to skip some sec, I I, like skimmed through some stuff because I was reading a physical book. This was one where I actually think that really helped me. Sometimes I I both read and uh, uh, listen. This is one where I read and I actually thought it helped me because it helped me skim through some nonsense that we'll talk about later. So anyway, five out of five with many, many caveats. There we go.
1: I listened to it and I really enjoyed the audiobook. So did you for those audiobook listeners?
0: Well, now that I've teed it up, what did you think about the middle section? So there's there's a part of the book where he's describing a bunch of stuff that this ocean planet
1: does. We just go we're just gonna open with the one thing that bugged you. <laughs> well it came up. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> Let's get it out of the way. Um yeah, where he's describing that what the ocean, like the things that the ocean can learn and take the on. The symmetriads and, and the asymmetriads and the nemoids. And he constantly is describing the shapes. And then he's also constantly saying that it doesn't matter and the ocean's not doing it on purpose and there's nothing to read into here. Yeah,
0: it's different every time. Don't even bother to try to understand what this is. But let me go ahead and give you 15 more pages of really elaborate descriptions of like structures reaching into the atmosphere with a lot of detail about what they might look like. But it's also very hard to visualize that's not his strength as a writer. And it's just this so
1: med- for so long. And, and don't forget that they don't matter at all. Don't read into them. But here they are. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, I guess, I don't know if that's a, uh, a holdover. I think, um, people who are good prose writers now do a lot less, um, you know, showing of physical spaces and describing of physical things. And I'm wondering if, if, especially in genre fiction, um, that's because they just know the strengths of prose versus um, screen and games and all the, the other media there is. Where you have a, a book like um, Solaris that's written in 1961, maybe people were more into that kind of thing back then. Getting the, the fantasy, getting to think about, oh, what's this cool world look like? Where, where now I'm not, I'm not as into what the world looks like. Um, in books anymore because I can uh, go play Tears of the Kingdom or something and see a sweet world. <laughs> yeah, that's a really interesting point.
0: I also I think that's true for sure. Um, but I also think I love Stanislaw. This is a great book, but I do think he's also not that yeah. good at it. Like the Expanse that we just did, like they make the stuff like it feels like you can see it. You know, from the way they describe things, like. I guess he was also trying to describe like arcane things that are impossible to imagine. So maybe I shouldn't give him, shouldn't be too hard on the man. But anyway, didn't feel like it was, it was not the best part. And so I kind of like.
1: Yeah. Anyways, that's like a, a small, a small yeah, section. Right. Okay. In so the middle. That's what you just had to, you had to caveat <laughs> your five out of five. Cause you were like, can I give this a five? Um, it's great. It's a great novel. Uh, and it is creepy as hell. This is a wonderful psychological thriller.
0: Yeah. So spooky. The beginning, especially I'm not like a horror guy. I definitely can't watch horror movies. They like scare me way too much. Um, and I've not read a lot of horror (laughs) books, but this book actually makes me think between this and blindside, I'm thinking maybe I should read more because I like the spooky vibe. Um, the book can't jump scare me. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I'm also not a fan of, you know, pop score or pop scare. Um, horror movies. Uh, I like good psychological thriller though. And in prose, really that's all you can do, right? You can't pop scare like you're saying. So if it, if it is truly scary, it's because they pulled off that element. Um, and as you alluded to in your summary, uh, it's a nearly abandoned space station, which I think is maybe the creepiest part about it. The other characters and that there's just
0: Ugh, a few so of
1: them. Um, it would be, it would be almost less creepy if it was just Kelvin on the station figuring out what Solaris is, what the organism is, but instead there's two other really creepy scientists when he lands.
0: Yeah. Um, Who are they? So the first one he meets is Snout. Uh, Great. I don't know if that's a real Polish name or if he made this up, but if Snout, uh, if anyone knows Polish, let us know. S-N-A-U-T. Yeah. So he's the first, he shows up on the station and no one comes to greet him. He just literally traveled across interstellar space and shows up and no one bothers to say hello. Very creepy vibes. When he finally does find someone, he has to go find him, and it's Snout. And he's like kind of drunk, but he won't tell him anything. And we sort of start to get the sense that Snout is both like doesn't really like this guy, but also thinks if he tried to tell him what was going on, he just wouldn't believe him. So he's not going to bother. And uh, yeah, that's a pretty creepy setup. Uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then there's another scientist, um, Jibarian who we don't see for a while, but Snout alludes to right away. It's like, oh, he's up in his lab doing his X-ray experiment. Oh, that's Sartorius. uh, Oh, Sartorius, sorry. um, That's Sartorius. Uh, He's up in his lab doing his experiment. um, Yeah, he's not going to come out. Yeah, he's not going to come out. We don't see him for a while. So you have this guy who's not going to come out of his lab, and then this other dude who's being really standoffish but also just aloof. Um, and then also he finds out that the reason he came to this station was, here's the name, Jiberian, um, who was an old professor of Kelvin's on Earth um, on Solaris and or on the subject of Solaris. And Jibarion has killed himself um, just weeks before. I think it was literally uh, like Kelvin two days landed. before Kelvin shows or, yeah, up. Days yeah. before Kelvin. So he shows up. His the guy he's there to see is has killed himself. And there's this weird dude who won't tell him anything. And there's another character who's just lurking somewhere. So good setup. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The other thing that really it it took.
0: It was disorienting in such a good way. So the station has windows so they can see outside. But the suns, there's two suns in the solar system. And so there's like. There's just constant like sunrise, sunset. One of the suns is way too hot. So they have to like close the shutters. And so the day night cycle is like really weird and unpredictable and way too fast. And it's like very disorienting and like just adds to this sense of like what is happening? When should they be sleeping? Is he even sleeping? Like it just it helps this sense of like discomfort and just like disorientation that pervades this whole novel. I thought it was really, really smart choice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it's uh, it just draws you in even more, um, and it's simple imagery too. You can you can really tuck in. There's nothing like complicated to uh, envision um, other than the what we already talked about <laughs> that little part. <laughs> but uh, um, there is also a. I also don't generally like books with like alternate history chapters, flashback chapters, um, these interstitial like. Dictionary, encyclopedia chapters—they can kind of be tough to get through. Um, obviously, there are exceptions. Left Hand of Darkness with the folk tales, um, the interstitial folk tales is great. But uh, in here in Solaris, I also like them. There's these interstitial chapters about the history of um, humans' involvement, like discovery of Solaris and um, various attempts and experiments to to figure out what Solaris is. Um, and they they add to the um, they add to the worlds in in I think a, a nice way. Yeah, I really liked them.
0: Yeah, and they helped with the sense of dread because they got you into this like sense of confusion and futility. Because he does a really good job just establishing that through like the language and what you see, but also that that especially the first time he does it, where he gives you the backstory chapter, just seeing like the hundred years of stuff they've been trying with like no ability to recognize patterns or communicate those, this thing slowly come to recognize that even that it must be alive, even though they're failing so much to communicate with it. There's some things that they're like, well, it has to be alive. Clearly it's a living thing. Um, but yeah, it really, yeah, it worked for me too. I really, really liked it. And I think part of that was maybe it was not too long. I don't know. Anyway, he just did it well.
1: Yeah. Uh, and that is the reason that there have been several adaptations to, there's been like plays, uh, the most famous of which obviously are Two movies, um, one in checks notes, 1972, by um, Tarkovsky, uh, which is a really cool version of Solaris. It's a little bit, it's adapted for film. The story is a little bit changed, but um, and it's slow. It's a 1972 Tarkovsky, but it's it's super super good. Maybe not as good as Stalker, but it's good. Um, and then there's a 2002. Uh, Steven Soderbergh remake with, uh, I forget who's in it, but someone you'd recognize um, that is apparently good, but we have not seen. Yeah. Either of us. Um, So other people like it as well. And uh, I I think, you know, there's not too much to talk about pre-spoilers, unfortunately, because it's a short book. So, you know, and it's it's very tense. So there's a lot to give away. Uh, But we did want to just say like a little more about the the first contact nature. Yeah.
0: There's a quote in here that like captures a lot, like one of the themes quite well, and it's like a good way to, I think, wrap up the pre-spoilers, um, which is, think about it. We've named all the stars and the planets, but maybe they already had names. Such arrogance. Um, and that pretty significantly sums up sort of the, You know, I know, Cody, you love like books that sort of like decenter humanity in our view of the universe. This is one of those for
1: sure. Yeah, and I'm thankful that you said that for me because I've said that so many times about so many books on the (laughs) podcast that, you know, it's a watch at this point. Um, But it's another great example of that. Um, It's a fabulous book uh, to think about, First Contact, and it's a fun psychological thriller. Yeah. Um, and, And in line with that, what are some other books people might might, might like uh, if they like Solaris or vice versa?
0: Yeah, we already mentioned it earlier because I think it's the closest parallel. But uh, anyway, Blind Sight by Peter Watts is sort of like- It's a duh. Yeah, it's like the more, um, it's interesting. The stakes are sort of higher in that one and it is still creepy, but maybe a little less creepy. Uh, and it feels more like hard sci-fi-y. But anyway, if you liked Sight, um, you should go read Solaris or vice versa. They're, they're definitely like partners across time.
1: Yeah. They're, they're, they're easy picks. Like you said, blindsight, maybe a little more modern and actiony, but uh, still very spooky and uh, cool ideas. Um, Another one would be annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer. Um, Just another cool look at first contact that has that same uneasy vibe to it. Yeah. Yeah, extremely uneasy vibe.
0: Um, and then last, we'll do Ubik by Philip K. Dick, which is his most... Mm-hmm. It's sort of his creepiest book that um, sort of explores some... A lot of his books kind of have people experiencing confusion, but for various reasons that we won't get into right now, I think Ubik is the one that like fits this best and is a very, very good one. If you haven't read Ubik, definitely check it
1: out. Yeah, Solaris is not about... Um, people losing their mind on drugs, for example, <laughs> or, or checking their, or checking their farmer's almanac for the price of, uh, fake and real animals for an entire <laughs> novel, which is what Blade Runner, <laughs> AKA Android stream of sheep actually, uh, uh, is, I was disillusioned by that. It's good, but okay. That's a huge digression. <laughs> um, Ubik by Philip K. Dick, uh, and let's do some post spoilers for Solaris. In three, two, one, Brent, what happens? In the rest. Okay. So Snout
0: warns him to look out for guests on the station. And basically he's like, hey, if you see some guests, don't freak out. And Kelvin's like, "Uh, what do you mean guests were however many thousands of light years from Earth? Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, ah, just, just don't freak out. Uh, so, anyway, the next morning, Kelvin wakes up and discovers that Harry, his girlfriend from 10 years ago who killed herself, is on the station with him. And she has no memory of killing herself. She doesn't really know how she got there. And, but she seems exactly like he remembered. And so the question is, is she actually being herself? Is this Harry Or is this actually just sort of like his – does it seem so perfect to him because this is actually just a representation of what he remembers Harry being? Anyway, that's all extremely creepy. Um, And so he hatches a plan, Calvin does, and tricks Harry into getting into a rocket and shoots her into space because that's the only way he can figure out to get away from her. He tries to leave and she has like superhuman strength actually. Anyway, so he gets, uh, gets her off and then he wakes up the next morning to discover that she is back again but with no memory of him shooting her into space, exactly the same way she was last time. She's there, she's back. And so soon he comes to realize everyone in the station is being haunted by their own guest. And in fact, this is why Jabarian killed himself. He could not handle this extremely unsettling situation. Um, or the implication of like what this means Solaris is capable of and how deeply it is like- Infiltrating mm, we can't our can't understand minds. it. Yeah, yeah it, maybe it can understand us. It clearly is like way deep into- into us. So anyway, um, so Kelvin has to accept Harry's company and isolated. He's isolated from all the other scientists who are all being weirdos. And he actually falls in love with this new version of Harry. He is clear with her about what she is. And she sort of has some very, there's some drama along the way that she sort of seems to come to terms with that. They're saying they love each other, but it's still just an extremely unsettling, unhappy situation And eventually Harry decides she actually is the one who cannot live with this situation. And she colludes with Snout to create a device that kills her permanently, actually. So Harry is dead. And so Kelvin is left on the station to continue his work. He's totally unsure if he's any closer to understanding what Solaris is, why it does what it does, or if communicating with such a different being is even possible. And yeah, that's kind of how it ends.
1: Point of order real quick, um, because... I. I was reading on Wikipedia. They actually changed her. It's Hare, not Harry. And that's, uh, it's like Polish or a Slavic name, I Hare? assume. Oh, how did they Hare. say it in the audiobook? Hare. Oh, 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 my now, bad. Uh. No, you're good. You're good. <laughs> I, you were doing such a good job. I didn't want to stop you and just like correct you because you were really bringing us in. Um, but I only bring it up because uh, he, he, apparently in the first English translation, a bunch of the names were changed. Oh. Um, Hare Ooh. among them. And I'm. I guess uh, we're figuring out why.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I'll also say this is a hard book to translate. He uses really a lot of really complicated, interesting language. And I actually read this one on e-reader, which I almost never do. And I was actually really happy for it. I didn't know about the like long press it defines a word for you thing. It blew my mind. It was so helpful with this book. Oh, um, cool. But yeah. Anyway, power to the, whoever translated this book. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, it's a toughie. Um, that's another fun reason to read it. Honestly, it's great vocabulary. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, like we alluded to earlier about first contact, you know, we see Solaris as a being. And by the end of it, all, all we really, we don't really know anything else. And the characters don't know anything else. All we know is that we can't know, which is what's so fascinating about this novel and, and sticks with you, um, is that it, it is an alien being of some sort That exists and is probably better than us in some way. Can read into our subconscious without us. It seems to be able
0: to like literally read your brainwaves, like and read your thoughts. Whether it like knows what that means, like does the confusion go both ways?
1: Who's to say? But and it creates it. It can create a person out of neutrino fields. Um, I believe is what is what she's made out of. Yeah, she tries it's to like kill neutrinos herself with- that
0: are pretending to be regular matter. That's a little, yeah. uh, but that's
1: okay. Yeah. 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 It's a little wonky, but like she tries to kill herself by with pure oxygen, but it doesn't work. Um, Cause she's just neutrinos. Oof, yeah. That was a disturbing Anyways.
0: scene. Yeah. When she drinks the liquid oxygen and then just like is tortured for a while by it. And then it all evaporates and then it her, she just heals. And it's like, well, that was awful. Yeah. It was not as yeah. tough
1: scene. Yeah definitely um and and i i think it it just all has this really interesting element of like turning the mirror back on the audience the reader and saying we don't really want to find life in the cosmos we don't care about finding life in the cosmos what we care about is finding mirrors for ourselves we want to we want to imprint ourselves on alien life or find ourselves in alien life and the most realistic but, you know, probability for alien life is you're going to find some stuff that doesn't make any sense that we can't communicate with at all.
0: <laughs> yeah, there was a really interesting example of that that I, I still keep thinking about a lot. So when Harry uh, – sorry, Hare – successfully does kill herself, she doesn't, like, leave a note or anything. There's no explanation. And it's very unclear why she did that. And I keep thinking about it a lot. And I, I my, in my, this current moment, my hypothesis is that this is – Lem showing us that like, not only can we not understand like this other kind of alien, you can't even like really understand another human, you know, you can only see the world through your own eyes. And so like, Kelvin just doesn't know what Hari is going through. And so he just can't, he's totally floored by this doesn't see it's coming. We are too. And it's sort of this, like, we're all alone in the universe message, which is kind of dark, but I think is Um, maybe is what he's going
1: for. I don't know. Do you, you got any theories on on that one? I think there's a lot of ways to read it and they're all good. I like, you know, we're, we're alone. We're not alone in the universe, but we are alone as humans. So it's like scary and sad at the same time. Um, I also think there's another layer to what you're talking about, about not being able to understand other humans she's created from his subconscious so he should be able to understand her because it's from his own brain, but it's his subconscious. We can't even understand ourselves really as well as uh, Solaris yeah, the being. Man, it's about not point. understanding ourselves, others, and constantly looking for understanding of ourselves in the universe. Um, and that that may be our, I think maybe one of the points I got from it is that that, that may be our best, that may be what what we're trying to do, like what what we're, best at doing is just trying to to trying to figure out why we're here Um, yeah for sure and we're never going to succeed but we can keep trying
0: (laughs) yeah we just gotta like try to make our own little path um you had a really interesting point about his horror and mystery technique um where you don't find everything out do you want to sort of spell
1: that out a little bit I believe this is to be true about bittersweet endings as well in fiction of any sort or, you know, nonfiction, just storytelling in general. Um, Leaving an ending unresolved is what I think makes the story stick with you the longest. Um, Any unresolved endings. And I think that Lem does that well here with, uh, with building up the, the thriller nature and also keeping it stuck in your head because you never see too much of what's going on in the station. I mean, you finally meet Sartorius, you know, halfway through or two thirds through, whatever, he's awful. Um, you kind of see his guest and you're like, ooh, that's creepy. Yeah, it's like it's this, probably a kid,
0: we think. It's probably his kid, maybe. Yeah, yeah.
1: his debt well, surely his kid who died or he abandoned to come to Solaris, but whatever it is. Um, but Snout, who we meet right away, we never see his guest, but there's an awesome scene toward the end of the novel where he and Kelvin have an entire conversation and the whole time there's a a locker next to Snout and there's a straw hat sticking out a little bit that Kelvin can see. And Kelvin knows his guest is there and Snout knows his guest is there and the guest is human, right? So the guest knows that they know and they have this entire conversation pretending that there's not this creepy like instantiation of a person there. Yeah, and we um, never and, learn who it
0: is, ever. Yeah. We don't know if it's nope. a man, a woman, we know nothing about. And Snout is like a, ooh, he's, I don't know, it's probably not good. But
1: Yeah, yeah you feel, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you feel so uncomfortable along with the characters. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of that stuff. Uh, uh, and then the biggest mystery of all, like, what is Solaris? The point is that we can't know. I mean, he leaves you hanging on a bunch of stuff that... um he he resolves the things that need to be resolved to make it a good compelling story. And he does not resolve the things you don't really need. And that's what really, I think, plants it in the brain for a long time.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's um there's this thing at the end that like put me over the top and made me say, like, whoa, this is one of the most creative books I've ever read. The the ocean is he goes like goes down to the shore of the ocean at the end and he's like kind of trying to put his glove in the ocean but the ocean does this crazy thing where it won't touch you it just like makes like a like a uh, like a it's like a glove outside his glove it like puts itself like a millimeter away from his glove as he like moves it in the air so he's like moving freely but the ocean is like surrounding him um anyway and he also puts forward this theory of of a defective God, maybe the ocean is a defective God in that it is sort of coming to terms with its powers, it's learning more, but at the end of the day, it won't be able to like really influence the thing that matters. And that idea of like, oh, what if there was a God but it's defective was like, whoa, I've never even begun to think about that before. You know, thinking about our, you know, the gods that we talk about in our religion, it's like, oh, well, they have all power, they're all powerful. So it's like trying to figure out like, well, why is an all powerful being doing the things it's doing? Well, here it's like, oh, well, maybe maybe it's just defective.
1: Yeah. Or or pointing out, yeah, defective. And um, I think he's applying that term to our scope of understanding as well. He's saying it's defective for humanity. It's not going to do anything for us. We can't communicate with us. It can clearly understand us. It creates entire human beings out of our subconsciouses. It can read our brains in our sleep. And it still won't communicate with us, so it just doesn't care. It's defective for us. We, we found a god, and it's totally indifferent, and it's not going to matter one way or the other. Um, it's a really uh, the the novel is incredibly thought provoking. Will stay with you for a long time, um, and is a super fun read. So you know what? Uh, retroactively, I'm five in it too. Oh, we're wow. going fives. We're going fives it's a great, it's a great book. I love that. That happens to me too. Sometimes when we talk
0: about a book, it like helps to like put it in perspective about like, yeah. Anyway, I love that. All right. Yeah.
1: Or, or when you move on from a book and you think about it more, the more you move on from it. I mean, that's definitely happened to both of us with three body problem. We were like, yeah, it's pretty good. But the farther you get away from like the problematic character writing, you know, just like the not great, Kind of cardboardy characters and some some rushed exposition. You're like, oh my god! I think about the ideas in this constantly. It's the best. <laughs>
0: yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Well, I think that's probably a good place to leave it. This is such a fun one. Um, I'm so glad you read this one first and brought it to me. I'm so glad you did. This was just a this was a wild one. It was so so great, so creative. So anyway, if you haven't read it, check it out.
1: Yeah, and otherwise, we will see you next time for on the road. Mm, the Road. Not on the Road. The Much road. less nice <laughs> <will>. than that. <laughs> yeah, we will never be reading On the Road uh, in the podcast or in life in general. That book sucks. <laughs> the Road by Cormac McCarthy, everybody.
0: See you then.